Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, Finance Friday Edition, where we interview Alex and talk about real estating and entrepreneurship. It's zooming out and saying, okay, do I want two or three house hacks uh, and portfolios? Do I want a stock portfolio? Do I want a business? Just kind of thinking through that at a really high level and saying, here's where I want to be in three to five years. And are the actions I'm taking conducive to getting me there? Or am I just continuing to throw a lot of cash onto this pile, which is great, but it's not a, it's not a strategy. It's not uh, as effective as putting together a, a thoughtful plan that you're backing into. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And with me as always is my real estate super nerd co-host, Scott Trench. Thanks, Mindy. But I don't think that one really was able to land. All right. <laughs> Mindy and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else, to introduce you to every money story, because we truly believe that financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big-time investments in assets like real estate, or start your own business, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards your dreams. I can't believe you took my spot, Scott. You stinker. That's not all, Mindy. We have a new segment of the show called The Money Moments, where we share a money hack, tip, or trick to help you on your financial journey. And today's money moment is, want to save money and help the planet? Switch to LED light bulbs. You can cut the amount of energy used by up to 90% using LEDs, and they also last 25 times longer than regular light bulbs. So I think a lot of people skip these because they're slightly more expensive than regular light bulbs. That's because they use a lot less energy and last 25 times longer. So swap out all of your light bulbs with LED ones, and you're going to save yourself a lot of money um, and a lot of uh, time over the long run. If you have a money tip for us, email moneymoment at biggerpockets.com, and Mindy will likely read 90% of them. <laughs> I can't believe you totally. It's not even April Fool's Day. All right. Now we're back to our regularly scheduled slots. So I'm going to say the contents of this podcast are informational in nature and neither Scott nor I nor Bigger Pockets is engaged in the provision of legal, tax, or any other advice. You should seek your own advice from professional advisors, including lawyers and accountants, before... For any financial decisions you contemplate. Yes, for any financial decisions you contemplate. I got to work on my memorization. That, that wasn't that good. Uh, all right. So, Scott, I am excited to talk to Alex today. She is a newly highly paid employee, and she's a real estate agent. She has a little bit of variable income, but also some pretty rock solid income and nice expenses. She's doing pretty well, and I'm excited to give her a bit of our own perspectives. Yeah. I mean, this, this is the result of a lot of work, a lot of intentionality, um, probably a lot of self-education in um, personal finance and and real estate and 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 really just hard work, and the culmination of that is a really strong positive life cash flow. And a lot of people, it seems like we've talked to a number of people now on the Finance Fridays who have come into this position after a, a good bit of time, and it's almost like you pop up and you're like, "Wow, I'm gonna, I accumulated tens of thousands of dollars in cash in the last twelve months, last year, two, three. And I'm accumul I'm gonna accumulate fifty to a hundred thousand dollars in cash in the next year, or or some large amount relative to that. And I don't really have. Wow, what do I what do I do from here? I've got so many options. It's overwhelming. It's a really good problem. Um, and that's where I think 
you know, uh, it comes down to what is the plan that you're going to back into three, four, five, seven years from now. And how do you begin making decisions that move you towards that? Because you do have a lot of good problems, but you still have a problem when you have a lot of cash to deploy and you've got to be intentional about it to maximize the opportunity and the uh, abundance in your life. Yeah, absolutely. She has a lot of great options and opportunities. And now it's just deciding and narrowing down. And I think really focusing on which one she wants to pursue first. Before we bring in Alex, let's take a quick break. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at NerdWallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms of each credit card issuer apply. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. You ever feel like your vacation rental sits empty too often? Missing out on potential income? Look, you're not alone. Many property owners struggle with underperforming bookings and the complexities of property management. But here's some good news. Vacasa outperforms other property managers in 92% of the markets they operate. They've helped homeowners like you increase their bookings by an average of 24%, turning those empty days into profitable opportunities. Want to see what your earnings could look like with Vacasa? Visit biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, and get a free personalized income estimate today. That's biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. And we're back. Alex is a real estate agent who left corporate America to pursue a job she liked much better. Kids are in the future and she's pursuing FI, so Scott and I are here to take a peek at where she's at and give suggestions for how she can get to financial independence. First, we're going to take a look at her finances. I have a salary of $53,000, extra money of $1,800, real estate commissions of $55,000, project commissions of $27,000 for a total of approximately $138,000 or $11,500 a month. She has savings and investments of $37,000 in a Vanguard brokerage account, a Roth IRA of $6,000, 6800 in a 401k, 5000 in treasury bonds, 20000 in savings, and 100000 in a high-yield savings account. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. Her expenses total around 4000 a month, and I'm not seeing really anything egregious. Household rent is 1400 Car is almost 900 That's the one thing I do want to talk about. Uh, medical, 121 Phone 75, dining out 180, groceries 160, subscriptions 55, business expenses 410. We're going to talk about this at the end of the episode. Travel and vacation $167, a grand total of 4,000 with an income of 11.5. I think she's doing pretty good on the spend. Yeah, she's crushing it. 
Alex, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Excited to talk to you guys too. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Let's look at your money story. What does your history with money look like? Sure. So I grew up with a single mother and a retired grandmother. So we were very middle class. You know, we got by, but we didn't really dine out every week. We ate at home. I was telling Mindy before that, you know, I didn't even really ever know that people ordered appetizers until I was in my 20s or I started dating my boyfriend. I always looked at the the numbers on the menu and I made sure that I was, you know, keeping it under budget. Um, so I grew up kind of with that scarcity mindset growing up. I think that's a very common theme with a lot of people who grew up in that sort of situation. Um, and as I went on, you know, I went to college, I graduated college with about $25,000 worth of student loan debt. And then that same year, I thought it was a great idea to buy a new car. I mean, I did need a new car, but it was new. I did no negotiating <laughs> and I ended up with another $15,000 in, in debt. So that kind of rounded me out the first year out of college with $40,000 in debt. Um, I got a corporate job, you know, was fine. It was paying my little to no bills and all that, but I was really not fulfilled in that work. And that's kind of when I started to explore other options for my career, as well as income, just extra income, kind of getting different side gigs and one being real, uh, real estate. So I became a real estate agent part-time while I worked my corporate job. And, you know, I thank Bigger Pockets for that as well. I, I stumbled upon Bigger Pockets and that really helped me network with a lot of people in my area. And um, I really fell in love with real estate and, and real estate sales. So eventually being in that job, I tried to create kind of what Scott usually refers to as a financial runway to kind of take a risk, take a new career risk, whether that be going out on my own or what I ended up doing, which is I my broker is also has a construction management company for new development homes down in Long Beach Island, New Jersey. And he is also you know, my broker. So I was able to kind of be a full-time agent and also work with him um, on that company full-time as, as my full-time career now. And in the process, I was able to pay off that $40,000 worth of debt in about five years out of college. And that, I guess, brings me fast forward to now where I'm really looking to concentrate on, of course, growing my wealth and all of that, and also kind of taking more entrepreneurial risk and feeling more comfortable with that, with the consideration of, you know, me wanting to be essentially coast by, by about 45. Um, so that those are sort of the two things that I'm balancing and along the way, wanting to have a house purchase and, and all of that good stuff. So I appreciate all of your input on, on those items. Okay. Well, let's focus on what you're doing right. Income and spending. 11.5 in income with 4,000 spend leaves you with a giant chunk left over to save for a down payment for your house or save for a down payment for an investment property, if that's what you're into. And if it's not, that's fine. Um, you can start investing in your after-tax brokerage, which you actually already do. Um, I don't think your problem is spending. And I mean, everybody can tighten up everything. You can eat rice and beans. You can have no cell phone. You can live with your parents. Like You could have a totally miserable life and save way more money. But you're doing really good right there. I don't think that's your problem. And I don't think income is your problem either. I wonder if 
focus might be needing to be tweaked a little bit. Where are you focusing your extra 7,500 on? So I mainly contribute to my after-tax brokerage. Um, all of the, so my take-home pay every month is about 4,400, a little bit more than that, maybe 44 to $4,500 a month. So that pretty much covers a lot of my my expenses. So the extra is between my commissions and all that, which isn't exactly a monthly thing. It's maybe in every other month, maybe one month I have you know, a lot in commissions and another month I don't have any. So usually I try and split my focus is, okay, every month I'll have the 4400 to cover all my expenses. And then when I get commissions, that's kind of where I allocate about, I put aside 30% for taxes. And then after that, I put about 60% into my after-tax brokerage. And then another, the other 40% I put in cash. Um, I'm pretty cash heavy. I know that uh, a lot of that is due to wanting to kind of diversify with, say, a, a house hack multifamily property and all that. And I want to have that as a cushion for the down payment as well as any sort of repairs that come up. So that's how I'm allocating that money currently as it comes in. I think it's great. I think it's really well thought through. Um, and I think you have uh, an outstanding allocation here. Zooming back out, you paid off $40,000 in five years. I'm guessing that the current level of income is a relatively new state of affairs. Is that correct? Yes, that's really the last year. Prior to that, I kind of wrote it out. It looked I averaged about 88000 a year, maybe a little bit under that prior to that. Awesome. So your income has jumped 50 grand in the last 12 months over what you're used to seeing. And all the money is starting to roll in. And you're kind of like, okay, what what do I do now um, from this with this excellent problem? Is that is that a good way of framing what, we're, what we want to accomplish today? Definitely. Awesome. Well, congratulations. That's great. And the reason you're doing that is because you're working essentially two jobs here, and you've got a very and you've done it really creatively. I I think that's really good inspiration for someone listening. How do I if, if I'm looking to leave leave my job here? How do I go into like real estate as an agent? But then maybe also take on a gig that can give me full time, but is acknowledge acknowledges that that license. There's probably a lot of opportunities there: property management, construction, flip working for a flipper. All you, you, the list could go on there, and that could be really exciting for for folks. Okay, so you have right now twenty thousand dollars in cash. Is that correct? Um, I I guess that's my main checking account. I have about 20,000, but my high investment savings account or high yield savings account is about another 96, call it 100,000. So I have about 120,000 in cash. Well, I missed that. So we're in really good shape here. <laughs> and you're going to accumulate about $60,000 a year. I'm, I'm guessing at that uh, because there's a lot of variable puts and takes here with that. You have to set aside 30% of the, the income from your real estate commissions for taxes, all that kind of stuff. But is that a good guess? $60,000 a year in, in cash accumulation is is very achievable for you in the next 12 months? Yes. Awesome. So we have $180,000 at the end of this year and your goal is to get into real estate. Is that uh, you want to make a you want to make a real estate investment. Yes, initially, of course, I want to have a a house hack sort of property. Being here in northern New Jersey, it's very expensive to live here. My rent, I mean, I know Mindy said it was relatively good, which it is for the area, but that is also half of 
of it. Uh, my boyfriend pays the other half and it also doesn't include parking. So that parking is technically part of my rent. It's not really <laughs> separate. Yeah, how much, how much do you pay for, for a paved piece of land? What's going into that $900 car payment? Oh, the, the car payment is gas, easy pass, just maintenance that I've done the past year or so. I kind of averaged it out. So that's all. And oil changes all of that. But I go very frequently. My commute down to Long Beach Island is about two hours round it each way. And I go three times a week. So it's pretty expensive for gas and tolls and all of that. And I try and have regular maintenance on my car so it will last me forever, ideally. So that's really where that $900 comes in. Okay. Walk me through an investment you would make in real estate. What are some of the options you're considering for a house hack or or similar? Sure. So in this market, of course, being a realtor definitely helps me understand what's available, what's realistic, uh, what the rents and the numbers look like realistically. What I want them to look like is definitely different. But on the market, I think that real I could probably find a property that's a good deal for about $600,000. Maybe both units bring in $2,500 a unit. So I know that's not exactly the 1% rule, but the idea being maybe, you know, we live in it. We have a lower cost of living, of course, and kind of with the mentality of holding for appreciation and appreciating rents in the long term. So I think that that's kind of the most realistic. I shouldn't say most realistic, but of course, I would love to find a better deal than that. But I guess from what I see on the market, um, I've been doing a lot of off-market marketing as well, but just for example, um, like a six hundred to six hundred fifty thousand dollar two family in this northern New Jersey area is kind of a little bit on the lower side, even. So I think that's attainable, but it's yeah that that's what we're we're looking at as a potential investment. Awesome. So one 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 thing. So how would you finance it? Would you put twenty five percent down? I would put twenty percent down. And then you'd use a conventional loan. Yep. So I, I think this is a really good, you are a perfect use case for someone I think who should be exploring creative finance. Okay. If you can assume an FHA mortgage or a VA mortgage, you are, you have the cash or will by the end of the year have the cash to bridge that gap, right? So what am I talking about here? If someone has a VA or FHA loan, you can take on their mortgage payment. It's, a, it's an assumable mortgage. So you can essentially uh, use their three and a half probably 4%, you know, maybe even lower um, payment, that changes the math on this investment dramatically. The gotcha, the big gotcha is that you have to bring cash because they might, their loan balance is not going to be 20% of the property value. It's going to be, you know, uh, I'm sorry, 80%. It's going to be 65 or 63.2 or whatever it is. So you need to be able to bring cash to bridge the gap between whatever your purchase price is and the amount of the loan balance that they've got. You've got 120 grand, so you're well on your way there. You may need some other source of financing, maybe friend, family, or even a hard money loan uh, to some extent to bridge the extra 40, 50, 60, whatever the random amount that you're going to need in order to close on a property would be. Or you can just wait a little bit longer and you're going to stock up, uh, um, sock away 60 grand in cash. Have you considered this angle in, as part of your, your purchase criteria? No, I guess I haven't. 
Um, with a FHA being an assumable loan, I guess that would be, of course, the seller would have purchased it with an FHA loan, and then I'm bringing you know that to pay them out. But I guess it would be finding that. I guess that would be my one question on how to kind of go about finding something like that. I think if agents start to learn about this FHA being assumable and VA loans are assumable too, um, even by people who aren't eligible for a VA loan normally, uh, I think if agents find out about this and people start to put their house on the market, agents are going to start asking, do you have an FHA loan? Yes, I do. Holy cow, I'm going to advertise that. This is an assumable FHA loan. You can, like Scott said, you can only assume the balance. So let's say they paid eighty thousand for it. They got an FHA loan for seventy five, and they've paid off three thousand. Now they're at seventy two, and you're coming in, and you're going to buy it for a hundred. You have to bring twenty seven, twenty eight thousand dollars to closing in order to cover the difference. But you get the bulk of your purchase financed at their lower rate, presumably lower rate. It doesn't really work if they bought it last month and they're rate seven percent. You don't care. Yes, but this this is a challenge. So your your unique position is that you have a hundred grand in cash, um, and and you're in a really strong financial position. So you can pull this off. But the, the issue is like a, a first time house hacker who is looking to do this, they don't have hundred and fifty, two hundred grand, or a reasonable way to getting there. Um, very quickly in order to bridge that gap. So you have a really good advantage uh, in, in that capacity. So surely somebody is going to come up with a solution and if uh, to this from a technology standpoint. If anyone knows that, please you know send me an email at scottatbiggerpockets.com or ping us in the Facebook group at uh, facebook.com slash groups slash BP money. But um, if in the absence of a technology product that I'm readily aware of to find this kind of financing, I'd encourage you to just simply ask does this prop you you're you're a broker so you just literally contact the listing agent and ask them in a simple email does this come with fha or va financing what does it come with an assumable loan i mean the seller would be willing to entertain that and that's going to allow you to purchase a lot more and the math changes dramatically when you're using a three and a half percent interest rate mortgage um versus a uh yeah i think i got quoted yes yeah, 6.8 recently so <laughs> <laughs> Uh, do you have a search set up in the MLS? Yes. I have my own, my search and then, yeah, pairing that with kind of letters and postcards recently. So I got a couple of calls. They weren't, didn't really turn out to be anything, but something. <laughs> the way that I set up my search and when I was uh, looking for a property, I would write letters, I would write them by hand and I would say, even though I'm an agent, I'm not looking to list your house. I'm looking to purchase it myself. So um, I, I didn't want, some agents will try to get in like that and then flip the switch on them. Oh yeah, I just really want to list it. Or, you know, I just wanted to be upfront with them. I'm I'm saving you commission because I'm not taking the commission for for either side. I'm you know, I'm going direct, I'm going to give you the fees that would equate whatever you're paying for an attorney. So you are represented um, so that you don't feel like this, is, there's a power imbalance or anything. I really wanted to put them at ease because getting the property is more important than saving a thousand dollars or $10,000. Like to get in is uh, really key. Um, 
I do want to say that New Jersey laws are really strict and lean toward tenant. If you're house hacking, I think it's different. But if you're an agent, I think it's now not different. Um, so just that's a bit of a homework assignment for you is just to look into uh, the the thing that I dislike the most about New Jersey landlord tenant laws is that you technically not technically you can't non renew a lease except for cause. So if they haven't paid their rent, of course you can evict them. But if they're just you know incredibly disruptive, you're living next door to them. They have parties all night long. They are you know stomping and just they live above you and they're very very loud. They have like brick shoes or something. You can't non renew a lease except for cause, which on the one hand is good for the tenants. On the other hand, you can't get rid of a bad fit. So something to be aware of. So is what one, one last point on this assumable finance piece. One other thing you can consider doing, depending on the seller, of course, and you, you, the seller has to get comfortable with this. And I think that they will start doing it because it's really just some paperwork um, at the end of the day. But imagine you have a, a $650,000 duplex that you're looking at, you're going to bring $120,000 down. The loan balance remaining is 350,000. So what are we at right now? 470 minus 650, we need $180,000 to come up with, right? Perhaps, and this might be too big of a balance, but perhaps you could say, would you be willing to sell or finance that amount? And then I will pay it back over a three, four year period at this interest rate that could even be higher. Um, you might want to get closer in an example like that. Hope maybe the balance is 450 and you're only asking for a $50,000 seller financing, but the more cash you stack up, the, the more attractive an option like that will be to a prospective seller. If it means an extra, you know, 10, $15,000 in the purchase price for them. So just make you more competitive. And I think, I think this is the year of creative finance for a lot of folks that are in your position. Any feedback or thoughts on that? Does that, is that way is that helpful? Oh yeah, that's very helpful. I appreciate it. Yeah. Even in uh, past episodes, I, had been thinking about the seller financing only recently because yeah, you guys had brought it up before and it definitely, it definitely makes sense for creative financing. What's another area that we, we can look into today or do you want us to keep going deeper on real estate? Um, I, I think that's been great. Um, I know I, I mentioned to Mindy too, a lot of that is just a lot of my own analysis paralysis. So I really appreciate the feedback and kind of reframing things in a more creative way to kind of open up some opportunities and some options for me. Um, other than that, I think that another area is really balancing wanting to take more entrepreneurial risks with my goal to also still be on in a coast fi type of position by about 45 is where I put it at where maybe I have children and I want to spend more time with them, have more flexibility. But I also, the position that I have right now is great. I am I consider myself to be a full-time realtor. And I'm also, of course, working with my, my broker on his construction business, which is a, a small, you know, essentially a startup, small business, uh, private business. And I know that I would like to do something on my own at some point. So I guess for me, a little bit of fears come up with taking that leap, similar to how I did before, but with less of a a consistent income and and foundation. So kind of just also, yeah, balancing those two wants, essentially. What sort of entrepreneurial endeavors are you looking to get into? Yeah. So I guess, ironically, I would love to get into financial coaching. I think that 
even though I don't know everything, of course, um, I think that I, I know enough of the basics and I've learned enough of the basics of how to save and invest. And I feel like I can coach people through that effectively and get to a position similar to mine or, you know, not that it's, it's all star, but it's okay. I think for, for where I'm at. And, um, I would, I would love to pursue something like that and really feel like I can contribute and help people with that piece. And of course, pairing real estate with it, just that's a big financial component for people. And I feel like I'm, I could use that knowledge along the way as well. So that's mostly what I would love to pursue. Do you, do you by chance have a master's degree? I don't. Uh, that could help you if you wanted to apply for like a CPA license, for example, mm. um, as part of that. Um, okay. So the goal is to become a financial coach and explore that as a potential business opportunity. Um, a services-based business, you charge hourly, I presume? Yeah, I would say. Or um, have sort of a, a program and have like a fixed cost program. That's another area where I thought might be better. Well, the best way to do it is to sell whole life insurance. Oh, you think? <laughs> <laughs> we, we, won't, we won't teach you how to do that one. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, no, no, that, that, well, that, that's great. Okay. So we want to, we want to start this business. Like you are in a great position. If you want to explore entrepreneurship, it, you have a ton of cash and you bring in a lot more than you spend. You only need one of your two jobs in order to cover your, your costs right now. And you could divert all of the time you dedicate to either being an agent or to the construction work. Um, to your um, side business. And if you didn't make any income for a year, it, like for example, if you were to leave your construction job, uh, if your current situation, you could survive for two and a half years prior to needing to go back to work um, in order to burn on that. So that, that w you are in position to take a great shot right now. Obviously that changes a little bit if you do a house hack and use up all the cash. Now all of a sudden your runway is diminished a little bit um, but you also will probably have lower expense profile. So there's good, good trade-offs there. Um, but I think you're in position to do that. So the next question would be how to go about making that transition if that's what you want to do and how soon can you do it? Yeah, I think that that's a lot of my own questions as well. Um, I definitely plan to, you know, I this year is kind of where I did want to start kind of picking that up as a part-time endeavor just finding the time to do it, of course, working essentially two jobs. <laughs> um, Mindy, I'm sure you understand even the weekend is showing houses and all of that. So it's definitely been a challenge there. Not to say that I can't make the time for it. I don't ever want to use that sort of thing as an excuse. But um, that's that's the biggest, I guess, barrier and kind of just the steps to take to begin something like that is what I'm really my next step on how to approach it. The first thing I thought of when you said financial coaching was the she-wolf of Wall Street, Amanda Wolf. She is the she-wolf of Wall Street on all social, and she's particularly active on Instagram. She makes videos. And videos, you can make a video with your phone. I mean, the, the iPhone cameras from like iPhone 7 up and the Pixel cameras from like Pixel 3 up are so high quality that you can you can record a video and upload it to YouTube in like 20 minutes. Um, if you want to start doing financial coaching, how are you going to get clients? You get clients by showing your expertise. How do you show your expertise? By splashing it all over the internet. We were actually just talking 
Um, the way that we ended up recording the episodes, their episode is releasing on Monday after this one releases on Friday, but we've recorded it already. So next Monday, listen to that episode and you'll hear um, how she got started on her business essentially with no money. There's a very small amount of uh, money that you need for like website hosting. She didn't even have a website at first. She just had an Instagram account. I believe there is plenty of room in the space because everybody's voice is different. You are going to be able to speak to people that I can't speak to, that Scott can't speak to. So what is it that you have to offer? You could be the financial real estate agent or, you know, whatever, the East Coast finance girl or, you know, whatever it is that you specialize in or have a big passion about, um, start thinking about what your angle is. And I, I hate the word angle because I don't mean it like like skeezy, but uh, what is your angle? What what do you have that I don't? What do you have that Scott doesn't? What do you have that the She-Wolf of Wall Street doesn't have? Because there are things that you have that they don't, that people will listen to Alex versus Mindy. So start making a list of the topics you want to talk about. Start making videos. It's really hard. You should see some of my first videos. You'd be like, oh my God, that was awful. Like, <laughs> cringe, so cringe. It takes a lot of time to get comfortable in front of the camera. And then as you gain a presence online, people start reaching out. Hey, I really like what you have to say. You really make me feel comfortable or you've really kicked my butt into gear and now I'm ready to take charge. And, you know, can you help me? And, or you, you know, you offer it up, but like, go check out what Amanda's doing. She's really doing some amazing things. What, what does a uh, successful coaching business look like to you in three, four or five years? Oh, that's a good question. It's a good question. Um, it would be, of course, in terms of an income, I would be earning about the same. I would say, I don't think that I really feel like, and hopefully this isn't my scarcity mindset creeping in, but I don't feel like I need a, a large income um, to be able to save the way I want and invest the way I want. So really, if I would be able to say in three years, have a coaching business that earns a hundred to $150,000 a year, that would be incredible. And more on the more real, what I would like to do being helping people, you know, I don't know what that looks like in terms of the quantity of people, but I would love to, you know, have coached at least over a hundred people, you know, in three years, a three year period of time and be able to impact them in some way and help them either get out of debt or help them invest a little bit better and maybe make more money. Yeah. Maybe even like you were saying, Scott, like figure out, help them figure out a way to have that financial runway to take a kind of a quasi entrepreneurial risk uh, before they maybe want to jump into something entrepreneurial themselves. So um, that's, I guess, a short summary of what I see it looking like. Awesome. Yeah, we, we, we just talked to someone recently who is uh, um, basically a physical therapist. So and, and there's a lot of a lot of similarity. I mean, it's the same type of business, right? It's a it's a services based business. Um, you're charging likely per session per client. Um, so to back into what you just said, you know, you if you wanted to work a 1000 hours, which is 20 hours a week, um, over the course of a year in this business in three years, you'd need um, you you'd need, you know, a th uh, um, basically a 1000 hours build at $150 a 
an hour rate, mm-hmm. which would be very reasonable for those services. You'd have to establish credentials, expertise to do that. There are ways to do that. One of them that I think is very, very hard um, from starting from scratch, but not impossible, um, and probably you should do is is what Mindy said, building a social media presence, videos, content, those other types of things. Another way to go about that would be in this field to go and get your certified financial planning designation, CFP designation, um, which you can take a test. It's a rigorous test. It'll take you some time. It'll require a lot of study. Um, it'll probably be about the same level of commitment from a financial perspective as getting your real estate license, but perhaps uh, much more intensive from a study perspective. Um, so that could be something you, you would do. Uh, you will immediately get recruited um, or, or may get you risk for getting recruited after getting that designation by uh, you know the Edward Jones um, and other institutions that charge assets under management and whole life insurance policies. And again, um, we're we're not big fans of those types of policies um, and that type of financial planning. But right. that is how you make the big bucks: <laughs> is you get a lot of assets under management, and you charge one percent of the fees. Um, that's that's how that that's what attracts most people to this space. So that'd be that'd be how you back into something like that. Um, and yeah, you could, you could start sooner and, and, and see if there's a a plan there, but I think it'd be, it'd come down to your value proposition, right? I'm a real estate friendly financial planner in Northern New Jersey and Western Pennsylvania or whatever it is, um, that helps people that are looking to become financially independent with a couple of properties do this. I specialize in 1031 exchange tax preparation, the, you know, uh, tax strategy and planning, uh, financial planning, uh, building portfolios with real estate as part of building out the very specific niche might be very, very impactful. Um, and yeah, getting, getting clients from there. You first you have to set up the business and then, uh, you know, make sure you can deliver on that value proposition. Yeah. I think getting in front of the camera would probably be the hardest thing for me. So <laughs> this is good practice, I guess. So <laughs> yeah, you don't, you don't need to do that necessarily. There's a, there's a whole bunch of guys on uh, bigger pockets, for example, who haven't really been on the camera. Don't get on there for, for but they post one, two, mm-hmm. three, four times, times a day about those related topics and they become experts in those. They already are, or they become experts in all of these different niches in the, the finance world. And that's how they get clients for services like what you're talking about. Cool. Thank you. I do want to bring up, I looked up, how do you get the CFP certification? Um, the experience requirement prepares you to provide personal financial planning to the public as a CFP professional. There are many ways to satisfy this requirement. Ultimately, you must complete 6,000 hours of professional experience related to the financial planning process or 4,000 hours of apprenticeship experience that meets additional requirements. So CFP is a, uh, it's a bigger undertaking, which is, it's it's a better undertaking than just like being online. Hey, I could do this, but it's harder. It's, it's a, a harder is not the right word that I want to use. It's more of an Commitment. Commitment. I was going to say obligation. Commitment (laughs) is the word I was looking for. It's a much deeper commitment. Whereas you could start making videos and be like, oh, I love this and want to be a CFP. Or, oh, I hate this and I want to figure out something different. Um, So just, just, you know, Scott and I are here to give you different perspectives. 
If we were the same person, there wouldn't be no need for both of us. Absolutely. And one way to go about that, um, I, I, I will admit I had kind of forgotten about the several, it's the same thing with the CFA as well. Um, which is, which is what you want for, from an investment perspective. But one way to go about that might be to get a, say, okay, the construction job is great, but maybe I could get a job more locally with a, an accounting firm or something like that and learn the ins and outs of tax preparation for real estate investors for a firm here. Probably a similar salary. That's direct, direct experience there working you towards your goal um, of being a financial coach um, with a legitimate designation that will mean something in the space. So that might be a, a very powerful um, way to, okay, I'm going to do that for a year. Then the next year I'm going to work with, I'm going to work for a CFP um, and be bookkeeper, tax preparer, whatever that is, um, to some degree that will help me do, help me do that. And these are probably all jobs that would, might pay, that would offer potentially an opportunity to pay at a similar level. Um, and if you're a real estate, if you can bring real estate expertise to that, there's, there's value add in addition to the, the skill set that you're providing. So those would be all, all things to think about. If, if that's what you want to back into, how do you, you know, in three years, you could be a CFP with a very credible set of, a set of experiences in tax preparation, estate planning, um, and all other ins and outs, for example, for real estate investors. Yeah, that's cool. And one of the things you wanted coaching on was not having a 401k. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. I'm curious. Have you been struggling to keep your vacation rental booked? I totally get it. It's tough to manage and keep filled. But we found something that really works. It's called Vacasa. They've seriously changed the game for a lot of the BP audience. In almost every market they're in, Vacasa manages to fill up the calendar more than anyone else. And get this, the average Vacasa user sees about 24% more bookings than with other managers. That's a lot of extra income. Curious to see what you could be earning? You can get a personalized income estimate right there. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what Vacasa can do for you. Check out biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa, spelled V-A-C-A-S-A, biggerpockets.com slash Vacasa. Saving for a down payment, a wedding, or just looking for extra money to invest? Monarch Money turns your budgeting woes into wins. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best budgeting app overall. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to manage your money like a pro. Add a partner or family member to your account for no extra cost. 
so combined finances become a breeze. Customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com pockets. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. What other accounts do you have access to? Do you have an, an, like a 403B or a 457 or anything like that? Um, not at my current job. We don't have any sort of account through that. But I have just a Roth IRA on my own. I have a SEP IRA for when I do my real estate commissions and all that at the end of the year, I contribute to that. Okay. And then I just opened an HSA. I haven't contributed yet, but that was last month. Um, other than that, that's really the, that's really the extent of it. I love the HSA account. Um, I, you'll hear next week on Monday, you'll hear how much um, Amanda Wolf loves the HSA account and also how much Kyle Mass loves the HSA account because it's such a great account. You don't pay taxes on the money that goes in. It grows tax-free and then you pull it out tax-free. And some people are using that as a way to fund their current medical expenses. But if you can cash flow your medical expenses, what you can do is save your receipts. And let's say, I mean, there's a lot of things that qualify for FHA or for HSA funds that like contact solution, band-aids, there's like 5,000, 20,000 things. It's a giant list of stuff. Um, including all of your prescriptions and your co-pays and all of that stuff. You pay it with your current cash, you save the receipt and you keep putting money into your HSA. You max it out as much as you can. You allow it to grow tax-free. You, down the road, you decide, okay, now I'm going to cash in. I've got all of these receipts. Now I can pull that money out. When you've got $3,000 in there and $1,000 worth of bills, it's you just took a third of your balance away. A third of your balance can't grow, but you've got three thousand dollars in there every single year. I think it's thirty eight hundred this year. Every single year, you're growing this giant balance, and then you've got a thousand dollars. You pull out a thousand dollars when the balance is forty thousand dollars. It's not such a big hit. Yeah. That's a thousand tax free dollars, and you can do this as long as you have an HSA. As long as you have a tax a high deductible plan, you can cash flow your expenses and then save those receipts Cool for pulling out at the end. And then if you don't use all of the funds that are in there, 
I think it's 59 and a half, you can start taking that money out. That's really cool. But, you know, eventually you're going to need that for, I think for regular medical expenses, even though that you don't have an HSA plan anymore. Um, but that's, it's such a great program. As long as you have the opportunity to do it, I would recommend doing that. Cool. Thank you. I really overall like the decisions you've made and how you set yourself up for your, with your, with your portfolio at this point, I probably wouldn't have changed a thing. At this point, you now need to do something with the 120 grand in cash that's sitting there not earning 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 a return. That could be buying a house hack, it could be using it as runway to start to fund your business. But there's no sense in accumulating additional cash at this point unless you have a clear-cut plan to use it outside of your retirement accounts. So I would think about how do I max out down the, down this stack. You're in a privileged position where you have this option. Um, and I would, I think that, yeah, prioritizing taking an employer match if your day job offers that is a good one. I like the HSA next. I like the Roth IRA after that. I like your SEP and 401k options following those. So I think that's, that, that's right. Um, and if you, if you don't have a plan to deploy the cash, um, I just start dumping it all into those at this point. Um, because you, you already have a hundred grand. There's no, you know, um, yeah, I, I love the flexibility it offers you use it or, or start, or start, uh, piling up the tax deferred wealth. Yeah, I know. I, I feel like I'm always very cash heavy, just, you know, I like the buffer, but I guess that to your point, it's, it's definitely, I think enough of a buffer, even putting 20% down, if that be the case, the, the way to go and all of that. So. Another thing to think about is you just said you like having the cash buffer. How would you feel if the ideal property came up tomorrow and you needed to use $120,000 for your down payment? Is that going to make you so nervous to not have any cash buffer? And if it is, and it would make me nervous as well, then don't put $100,000 or $120,000 down. Can you, like, what is the minimum cash buffer that you can comfortably live with and start, like, you don't need to answer me. You don't need to have that answer right at the top of your head, but start thinking about that so that when you are looking for a property, the perfect one pops up, but it's going to take every dime of your cash. That's going to give you so much nervousness that you're not even going to be able to sleep. That kind of makes it not worth it. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. <laughs> I think the biggest T single takeaway here though is you are fresh on this kind of new world of earning $140,000 a year, give or take, and having tons and tons of extra cash coming in. And it seems like you've just been stockpiling for several years in your savings account. Now it's time to pop up and say, okay, if I keep this up for the next five, 10 years, I have a path to a million dollar net worth. Mm -hmm. And I talk about this a lot, but it's zooming out and saying, okay, what does that position look like in five years? I easily will have six, seven, six to $750,000, even if I don't generate a return on my wealth at that point, I have, I have, I have a path to potentially getting into that ballpark. Mm -hmm. What do I actually want that portfolio to look like this much in a house hack? Do I want two or three house hacks uh, and portfolios? Do I want a stock portfolio? Do I want a business? When do I want them by? How do I sequence that and get to a place that makes sense and and begin acting at the highest level on that? Mm -hmm. uh, and that will mean big moves. And it will also mean 
um, kind of evaluating the value of your time, which is dramatically higher now than it was a few years ago. Right. And it will be, if you keep doing that, keep this up higher still in a few years than it is now. That means you have to stop doing certain things or outsource them, um, and whatever. And so just kind of thinking through that at a really high level and saying, here's where I want to be in three to five years. And is the act the actions I'm taking conducive to getting me there? Or am I just continuing to throw a lot of cash onto this pile, which is great, but it's not a, it's not a strategy. It's, it's clearly going to work in building wealth, but it's not uh, as effective as putting together a, a thoughtful plan that you're backing into. Yeah. I appreciate it. It's true. <laughs> awesome. Well, Alex, thank you so much for your time today. This was a lot of fun. I like talking real estate. I like talking real estate agent stuff. And I am excited for what lies ahead. I would love to hear what you do with your uh, house hack search. So please let us know when you find a property. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time, you guys. Thank you, Alex. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. All right, Scott, that was Alex. And that was a really good set of problems to have. Which bucket do I put my money in? And which goal do I focus on? And I think narrowing and I think focus is the key here. Which goal do I focus on or which goals do I focus on? It's It can be hard when you're in this position of you've paid off your debt, you have a lot of income, where should it go? So sitting down and figuring out what you want can be really key. Absolutely. She, she's, she's doing fantastic. She's got all the, all, all these things that are going to make her super successful over the long run. It's backing into a, a, a plan there and making intentional choices to move towards it. And I think that, um, she's still kind of in the, I have all these options phase instead of here's my plan and exact. And the most logical choice to moving towards that plan is a B or three logical choices are a B or C. And I'm going to go with a, because that's the one that moves me the most, has the most direct impact, whatever. If she can get there, she, everything's going to be going to start falling into place for her. And, um, we can begin backing into that. The three big takeaways though, that I have for today are in addition to first having that plan, second, thinking through the house hack decision in, in the context of creative finance, right? Creative finance requires you to come up with something either super creative, like, uh, I'm going to assume a loan and I'm going to do seller financing and I'm going to bring a little bit of cash or to have a lot of cash. And she's in that privileged position of having a lot of cash, which makes this really accessible to her um, in a way that it may not be for many of her competitors in today's market, right? She's in a unique position for a house hacker of having both cash and the willingness to move into a property. That makes assumable financing like FHA and VA really um, available to her in a way it wouldn't be for me as an investor, or it wouldn't have been for me as a first-time house hacker eight, nine years ago because I didn't have $120,000 in cash uh, to bridge that gap. So that, that's number two. Yeah. And then number three, I think it's it's this entrepreneurial bend and understanding, okay, when is it time to pull the trigger and how do I set myself up for success in that endeavor? Um, so it's a, uh, a smooth transition from my current state to um, the future state of being an entrepreneur or business owner in this. And I think that in her case, she had some opportunities to think through education, certifications, brand building, and then, then just generally rounding out her expertise. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's a job change coming up in the next year or two that aligns better with her goal of entrepreneurship in the financial coaching space. That would be very interesting. I hope she checks back in with us. 
All right, Scott, should we get out of here? Let's do it. That wraps up this episode of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. He is Scott Trench, and I am Mindy Jensen saying shake, shake, rattlesnake. Bigger Pockets Money was created by Mindy Jensen and Scott Trench. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Exodus Media. Copywriting by Nate Weintraub. Lastly, a big thank you to the Bigger Pockets team for making this show possible. reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the bigger pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping to pay down your mortgage each month, four kitchens and bathrooms you can renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium term rentals, or other rental strategies you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, Where do you find a small multifamily property that you can afford? Which market and which deal is best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling and living your life without being tied down by four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? These are all great questions, all to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devtha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four today and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. That's biggerpockets.com slash F-O-U-R. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.